Respectfully. 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 A melanated therapist. Welcome in and welcome home, family. I'm Dimitri. And I'm Rade, and this is Respectfully a Melanated Therapist podcast. Just a quick disclaimer, this is not therapy. We're just two people who are doing a podcast who happen to be therapists. The information in this podcast is for psychoeducation and entertainment purposes only. If you are in need of therapeutic resources, please feel free to contact us and we'll point you in the right direction. All right, fam. Welcome back from the bye week. We hope you all had a chance to catch up on some episodes and get some much needed self care um, because that is important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I'm sure my friend is also engaging in her own self care as well as me get engaging in mine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay. I miss your face, friend. How have you been? Oh, it's been a while. I've been good. <laughs> like life has been life, but you know, for mm-hmm. the most part, um, you know, I'm still breathing and kicking, you know, and mm-hmm. um, you know, life is beautiful and challenging at the same time. All at the same so, time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just really um accepting the beauty and accepting the challenges and you know, trying to put my one foot in front of the other and, you know, staying as optimistic as possible. Yeah, I get that. 100% I get that. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a duality to life that you have to decide which side do you want to lean on. The like mm-hmm. beauty of it or the chaos and the challenges of it. And mm-hmm. if you can look at the beauty and the challenges, then maybe... We could really get somewhere, right? Like exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I'm kind of like, do it. you want to float or do you want to drown? But you know, sometimes we can't help if you know the water takes us under. Sometimes, but you know, I think you know, like we we talk about in our other episodes, that's where you know that self care and that support from your network of people comes into play, so that they can mm-hmm. help lift you up in, in the times where you know you might go under sometimes. But right. Um, yeah, but like you said, it's all about being staying on the positive side and, you know, just putting one foot in front of the other and just knowing that, you know, challenges are temporary and the way that you see the world is permanent. So, ooh. You know? Okay, come and get him early. Like, <laughs> let's, let's let's come with the let's come with the tea early. I need this. <laughs> <laughs> same, same. Um, but yes, fam. So in last week's episode, um, we gave you all a general overview of trauma and how it manifests in the lives of those who experience it. And today we'll be talking about abuse, which is defined as the cruel and violent treatment of a person or animal. And within that definition, there are four main types of abuse. You have neglect, which is the state or fact of being uncared for or failing to look after someone or something properly. Physical abuse is intentionally causing injury or trauma to another person by way of bodily contact, um, i.e. like domestic violence. Um, Psychological abuse, which is a form of control by using emotions to embarrass, shame, frighten, criticize, blame, or manipulate another person. And then we have sexual abuse, which is unwanted sexual activity with perpetrators using force, making threats, or taking advantage of victims that are unable to give consent themselves. Um, So before we go into 
some of the different types of common signs for abuse. Um, well, you know, actually, I'm going to talk about those first, and then I have a quick question for you, Dimitri. Okay. So the common signs of abuse are unexplained injuries, such as bruises, fractures, or burns, um, injuries that don't match the given explanation, right? I think a hallmark one that I think may be overused in probably movies could be something to the extent of you see someone with a, a black eye and you mm-hmm. ask them what happened. They say, oh, I ran into a door or a cabinet hit me, right? Mm-hmm. Just doesn't match. Mm-hmm. Um, social withdrawal or isolation is another sign. Changes in behavior such as aggression, anger, hostility, or hyperactivity or decline in school or work performance, right? When the abuse mm-hmm. starts to kind of take over you being able to be present. Um, depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, or unusual fears, or a sudden loss of confidence, as well as self-harm or s- attempts at suicide. I want to be mm-hmm. clear that um, self-harm can range in a number of ways. I think when we think of self-harm, a lot of times we just think of cutting. It can be other things uh, such as head banging, skin picking, mm-hmm. um, over-exercising, right? There's a mm-hmm. such thing as that where I have had clients that are like, yeah, I'm going to walk to probably the treatment center today. And they're walking four to six miles. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so things like that. Yeah. Um, so and I want Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say like scratching, um, mm-hmm. which kind of aligns with what they said about skin picking and then burning is also one of the uh, ways that people um, self-harm, self-harm and yeah. burn burning your skin like you could with the eraser or even taking a lighter and and you know using the flame or you know taking a lighter mm -hmm, and taking the lighter and holding it until the the metal gets really hot and then pressing it up against the skin so Mm -hmm. you know like you like right they said a lot of people think that self-harm is just cutting but there's actually other methods that um you know unfortunately a lot of people engage in right definitely So my question for you is, you know, understanding your scope of work, which of the types of abuse is hardest for you to work with? Hmm. Wow. That is a tall order. (laughs) Um, So just raw and uncut physical abuse and sexual abuse, um, I would say are the most challenging. And mm-hmm. the reason that they are the most challenging is because I always have to be mindful of my own perspective and my own mm-hmm. feelings towards physical abuse and sexual abuse, because I saw that growing up, um, mm-hmm. well, saw slash experienced that growing up. So it's triggering for me at times. So mm-hmm. that's what makes it the most challenging. You know, they've kind of, you know, prepared us as far as, far as you know, the methodologies and the treatment methods and all those mm-hmm. other things. But there's no, you know, although, although that we get taught not to uh, personalize and to make sure that we're, you know, there's no counter-transference when working with clients, there's still mm-hmm. nothing that prepares you for the experience of a trigger based on something the client is telling you. So, right. you know, when I am working with clients, um, 
who have been physically or sexually abused, then I always have to make sure that I'm I'm doing an emotional check-in or I'm checking myself throughout mm-hmm. with myself throughout the session to make sure that there's no kind of transference or that, you know, I'm not being triggered. And if I am being triggered, that I'm not, you know, uh, projecting that onto to the situation in the session or to the onto the client. Um right. But you know, it's it's tough. It gets challenging sometimes, but for the most part, I think now um, that I've become aware of it, that I'm able to better deal with it in the moment, and mm-hmm. um, you know, make sure that the focus stays on the client, and that. But I'm also managing myself and my emotions um, at the same time. As well, yeah, yeah. How about you? Um, I think the type of abuse that is most challenging is when I'm dealing with a kiddo dealing with any of these forms of abuse. Yeah. Yeah. That's another big one. Yeah. I think that's a huge, huge, huge one for me. Um, Only because I, one, of course we want them to be safe. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when, you know, if we have to call things in or whatever that looks like, right? It's still mm-hmm. kind of depending on who's making this first move of reporting and all of those things to keep that child safe. Right. And how soon will they be safe mm-hmm. after Absolutely. you've made the, you know, after calls and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, because you I, don't know, you don't know if they're going to, if that's going to exacerbate the abuse because you exactly. have made the report. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Especially with my history of working at Guardian Atlanta, I feel mm-hmm. like I have seen it all when it comes to kids and the kind yeah. of abuse that they've experienced and seeing it just happen firsthand kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. But I can also agree with you, you know, managing my own emotions and not allowing that kind of transference to show up is a huge thing, right? Making sure that I am utilizing probably peer support or in, you know, managing my own emotions as we're walking mm-hmm. through certain things. Because I don't think anyone could hear um about abusive experiences, trauma experiences, and not take on some of that emotion. Right. Um also I think one of my other challenges is working with um people in physical abuse and psychologically abusive situations. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the most dangerous part of the relationships is trying to leave, right? Exactly. And so during that period of safety planning and preparation, if they are willing to at all, right? <laughs> then I, I, my anxiety is at all time high during that time, right? So yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah. Those um. Uh, definitely is one of the more quote unquote scary ones because like you mm-hmm. said um that's like having knowledge of i guess much like with the kids having knowledge of current abuse and trying to figure out what's next because with children okay we report and then in some instances we we report with adults but not all mm-hmm. instances and you know sometimes you know knowing that that client is leaving your office to go back to their abuser and be mm-hmm. with their abuser, like that's some that's a hard pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. Um, because we do want our clients to be safe and we do care and we do have concerns. Um, but you know, as a therapist, there's only so much we can do in certain situations when it comes to adults. So I think, you know, everything that you said and then battling helplessness. Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> because sometimes, you know, a lot of times actually, um, we're helpless, you know, and, yeah. you know, we can help our clients process, you know, try to, you know, come up with a plan, try to get them to their own perspective of caring about their safety as much as we do. But most cases we're helpless and we have mm-hmm. to deal with that. And it's yeah. not always hard, you know, easy for us to to do that. Yeah, I definitely agree. So do you have any uh, couples in your practice right now? Yes, I have a a, a few. Okay. So what is your, do you have a rule with couples about abuse for your private hmm, practice? That's a good question. Um, yes. Um, where this is possible and I push for it is that if there's any type of abuse, um, especially domestic violence or physical abuse to separate environments, if they're both there trying to work on the relationship, trying to resolve those things that ultimately um, it might be best for them to live in separate spaces in that journey. Um, and then also if definitely individual therapy for the person who's actually doing the abusing. Okay. Because, you know, when you're working with couples, like you are getting down to the root of the problems, but it's not individual therapy. So it looks different. So mm-hmm. if there's some abuse going on, you know, there's abuse history um, with the individuals. And I definitely recommend that the individuals are also actively engaged in individual therapy so that, you know, they're working on themselves and their own individual journey, um, as well as then coming together with their partner to resolve the issues in the relationships. But, you know, from my perspective and experience, it always starts with the individual and then it splatters on to the relationship. So without that individual work, then that's mm-hmm. where, you know, that breakdown is going to happen. Because if you can't connect the individual experience to the relationship experience, then it's not going to There's yield no, the results that mm-hmm. they want. Um, and then sometimes they don't even know that they need to go to individual therapy because, you know, as you know, because, you know, uh, marriage and family therapist, <laughs> you know that um, sometimes it is, it does make sense to meet with one, the clients individually sometimes, mm-hmm. and, but most of the time it's just with both of them, you know, both of them. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, those individuals having individual therapists, especially with heavy trauma and, you know, um, mm-hmm. trauma history, um, mm-hmm. I think it's very important that um, those individuals partake in that um, individual journey. So as far as requirements, I think those would be, you know, the two that the you two. Know, I kind of push um, more than others. Yeah. So for me, I think I'm, I'm right in line with you there. Um, usually I work from a Gottman approach anyway, when I work with couples. So I end Same. up having individual sessions with them for the first two sessions anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, if there's any abuse going on, specifically sexual or physical abuse in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm kind of weary about, you know, psychological abuse too. I will also mm-hmm. make sure that the couple can separate if they decide that they want to move forward with therapy. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm looking first to see, are there, are they both acknowledging that the abuse is happening? So is the victim safe? Yes. Amen. And then, from there, that's when I, I always give my rule though. So flat out the rule is I will not do therapy if there's active abuse, active abuse happening. So mm-hmm. if you decide to, my intention behind saying that is 
if I'm asking you to live in separate environments, it's also with the caveat of the abuse cannot still be happening, even though exactly. you guys are living in a separate space. Exactly. So, and I have the same rule for infidelity, like the infidelity cannot still be happening while you're actively in therapy, as right. well as both partners need to be an in individual therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because that's counterproductive if they're if they if the abuse is still active and you in therapy. Exactly. So it's almost like, oh, okay, I'm going to the doctor, and you know, I'm I got the I'm got the flu, but you're not doing anything. But you're not doing anything to change it <laughs> to change your <laughs> right. health, you know, your right. wellness. So yeah, I totally get that. You're you're spot mm-hmm. on with that one. But yeah, so pretty much same rules as you. I just have both of them go to individual therapy and I make it very, very clear. The abuse cannot still be happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it is at any time, then, you know, then it needs to be discussed and X, Y, and Z. And we end up making safety plans. And I make safety plans for both, like first session for both the person that is abusing as well as the victim. Yes. Yes. So Yes. That's yeah. good. That's good stuff. Okay. I, I completely agree with that. Um, so I have a question for you, Rade. Um, are there any forms of abuse that you have experienced that you feel comfortable sharing with our listeners? Um, so I have some history of vicarious trauma, like what I have seen, like, mm-hmm. you know, witnessed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that was not the abusive aspect. I think... The abuse that I've experienced was psychological abuse. I experienced a lot of bullying between like third and fifth grade. Um, Like people trying to fight me (laughs) at school because I was new. Oh, wow. Yeah. Or just always being singled out because new and I'm black and I'm not in any classes with black kids. Like it was, yeah, that was a lot. And I think I've talked about, you know, how my quote-unquote nickname was Oreo for a really, really long time that last mm-hmm. lasted way past um, elementary school. Mm-hmm. And I think that there was the... I don't want to say, if I'm being honest, it wasn't a severe psychological abuse that I've experienced, that I experienced growing up, but I think that it was pretty mild of just, or moderate, I mean, to say, of like there was a lot of yelling in my household <laughs> mm-hmm. growing up and of it felt like there was just a lot of intentional anger or a lot of uh projective anger in my household mm-hmm. where there was just a lot of yelling a lot of criticism at times uh because people were angry mm-hmm. parents siblings right it's just kind of how we all interacted with each other because it's mm-hmm. what we knew mm-hmm. and so I think those are the forms of abuse that are that I really experienced that psychological side, you know, at school, and then the yelling, the criticism, the judgments at home. Yeah. So it was. I, I guess it was just happening in both places. The same thing. Yeah. 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 Well, sorry you went through that, friend, and thank you for sharing that with us. Um, yeah. You know, these are not easy topics that we're broaching. No, (laughs) they're not. (laughs) But you know what? I, the reason, and I'm going to be honest with you before, before you end up sharing too with us, you know, if you feel comfortable sharing any of your forms of any of the forms of abuse you've experienced, you know, I think the reason that I'm comfortable with sharing them now is because I've genuinely been able to work through them. These are Mm -hmm. conversations I've been able to have with my parents 
We have conversations mm-hmm. I've been able to have with other family members, my sibling right. or my sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and my brother's a lot younger to have experienced that or remember those experiences, but he's having his own right now, you know, yeah. of, of what, mm-hmm. what his childhood looks like or what his childhood has looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, yeah, that's why I, I'm able to talk about it now, right? Because my life doesn't look the same anymore. We've all kind right. of leveled out and recognized, you know, this is not how we like to talk to people and it's not appropriate and those mm-hmm. kind of things. And I think we also have a better understanding of where that was coming from, specifically for my parents and understanding their relationship with theirs and all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm so an advocate. Um, oh, sorry. I'm a av- no, no, you're fine. I'm, I'm an advocate for... Um, that statement that there is power in your story. And I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, all of those things that you said, that self-awareness, that resolve, that healing um, Mm -hmm. is very important. And, you know, sharing your story becomes an extension of that. And I think Mm -hmm. that not only sharing your story is therapeutic and healing for the person sharing, but also it could be a sense of support or motivation or encouragement for someone else who's experienced the same thing to say, hey, I can achieve the same thing that, you know, Rade has achieved or Demetric has achieved by mm-hmm. telling my story, by doing the work and healing and processing and resolving all that, all that stuff that comes with it. But um, for me, um, also some vicarious trauma based on some of the things that I saw growing up. Mm-hmm. Um you know, personally, I've experienced neglect from a parent. Um, and I, what I would actually call is is total abandonment, really. Um, mm-hmm. There's been some psychological abuse, um, more so um, in my adolescent slash teenage years from, mm-hmm. you know, individuals who I considered to be um, supportive people or people who cared about me or people who loved me, um, you know, and not to take away from the acts that were done. But I think now that I'm older, I kind of realized that hurt people hurt people. Um, but it doesn't still negate my experience. It doesn't negate the fact that you harmed me in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the biggest thing with the psychological abuse is the manipulation. It's the yeah. manipulation or the playing on my emotions to get the results or the reaction out of me that you, that you want or, mm-hmm. you know, um, how I like to say it now is people who try to dim your light. Um, You know, that I experienced a lot of that. And, you know, all in all with the people who lights are, are, are being attacked or trying to be dimmed, like we're just being ourselves. (laughs) You know what I mean? We're just coming to the table, being genuine, authentic, you know, people. And, you know, sometimes our hearts are on our sleeves, but at the same time, like we are not intentionally doing, well, I'm going to speak for myself. I can't speak for anyone else, but I'm not intentionally doing anything to quote unquote shine brighter than the next person. I'm just being who I am. This is my light. This is my path. This is my journey. And Mm -hmm. which has nothing to do with you and your light. Um, But I think a lot of people struggle with that. And a lot of people, um, you know, whether it's intentional or unintentional, try to dim other people's light. Um, And then also some, some, sexual abuse in childhood. And at the time I didn't know what it was because when you're young, you don't really have a name for it. You just know mm-hmm. that it's something wrong. That's happening. Right. It feels weird. Um, feels wrong. Yeah, exactly. And 
I didn't tell anyone when I was younger because, like I said, I didn't have a name for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So how can I go and explain something I don't know how to explain? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as I got older and I'm like, okay, oh, that's what it was. But I think it might've been a little fear in there because one of the instances, um, I, I guess I had got to a point to where, okay, this feels too wrong. I'm, and I don't want to do this. So I'm going to tell. So I verbalized that. And then um, I was like punched like in my eye. Like, I mean, like real mm. deal, like lights out type of situation. I didn't like pass out or uh, go unconscious, but it was hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, that just shut down any particular, you know, um, desire to say anything else. But after that moment, I think that um, I became a liability. So that person distanced themselves from me, which yeah. um, was definitely a blessing for me because I didn't have to experience that anymore. But it was um, during my elementary school years. Um old enough to know it's wrong, but not old enough to know what it was called to actually have yeah. a, a name for it. But, you know, I think at through my journey, I was able to put a name to all of the, the abuse that I experienced and then able to process it, you know, in therapy and, and find resolve and healing from that because ultimately we don't always get a chance to confront our abusers. Um, and I've come to to accept that and be okay with that as long as, you know, I'm able to process and heal and get that closure that I need to right. close that chapter of my life and make sure that it's not showing up in other areas of my life. Because the fact of the matter is, is that it did. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. it still does. Like with trusting other people, um, you know, fully being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are some of the two of the bigger ones. But um, and then just not feeling emotionally safe in situations where I should, you know what I mean? But, you know, that's my journey, but it's, it's definitely character building (laughs) to say the least. Um, But I'm glad that I can, I can honestly say that I'm on the other side of it. Doesn't mean that Mm -hmm. I don't still get triggered. Doesn't mean that I don't still have to regulate my emotions in certain situations. Um, It doesn't mean that I don't have to check in with myself to say, Hey, okay, this person has been rocking with you for six plus years and they've not actually done anything that would, you know, warrant you not to trust them. So Demetri, we need to trust them. We need to be more vulnerable and, you know, and it's okay to take your time with it, but as long as you're aware of it, I think that's what's most important. Yeah. I'm sorry that happened to you too, friend, but I am very thankful for you for sharing it, you know, thank you because I too agree with you that our stories can really help other people see, oh, actually this happened to me or you know, seeing Demetric on the other side of it can really help me to to reach the other side. So thank you. Absolutely. And uh, one more thing, and then I will move forward. Um, so it happened. So the sexual abuse that happened again when I was in high school, there was a situation and mm-hmm. um, I actually ended up telling a friend um, about it. But, you know, one of the barriers to that, that I had is although I I put a name, I had a name to call it. I knew what it was. There was Mm -hmm. still a fear of rejection. And when I say fear of rejection, it's like, okay, well, how can a guy be, you know, you know, that stigma um, Mm -hmm. of how can a guy be abused? 
Yep. You know, like how can mm-hmm. you abuse a man? And um, so that ha- played a lot into it. So I didn't go to the police or anything or make a report. Um, but at that time, having that outlet of being able to tell a friend who was super supportive and showed care and concern, I Good. think that's what kind of helped me get through that until I actually got to the therapy journey. Right. Good. Yeah. I'm very thankful for that you had that friend. Me too. You know, Me too. <laughs> you know, um, as you were talking and you were saying hurt people, hurt people, I think that is very, very accurate. But you're also right that it doesn't justify behavior, right? right. I think it needs to become an explanation for why we do something different. Exactly. Um, rather than a justification, you know, and I think in, you know, what was my trauma started to look like was throughout my childhood, people outside of my world, so to speak. So like outside of my home or, you know, my friend group, Mm -hmm. um, if I was meeting someone new and they would ask me questions about myself, I would start lying. I would start telling them things that painted me in a much better light that made me Mm -hmm. feel safer, if that would make sense. No, that Um, makes perfect sense. Yeah. And because a lot of my my trauma is based in the psychological space, mm-hmm. I looked back and I realized, oh, okay, yeah, that it was a lot of little white lies. And mm-hmm. um, I think now today, that's why I struggle with um, not lying or being too honest or being too mm-hmm. much. Finding that I'm medium, just, yeah, <laughs> because and and not to lie, but also to know like when you don't have to share something. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think I went a long time without sharing, like, how are you really feeling? Right. Or, mm-hmm. you know, or what are you really doing with your life, with yourself or whatever? Like I would make it into some, I would just, I would take the stories and add a little notch to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like mm-hmm. it was true, but then I'll add something. And, you know, I think that stopped for me around like high school time, but it created a lot more negativity and negative space Mm -hmm. for me, you know? So I think me recognizing that was a huge thing to recognizing, oh, okay. You've also dealt with some other things in the past. So, yeah. yeah. Great point. I'm glad you actually brought that up because that's one of the beautiful things about our brain, um, Mm -hmm. at least on impact, is that our brain will create narrative to protect us. us. Mm -hmm. Listen, um, when it came to the, you know, the neglect or the um, from a parent or total abandonment, um, didn't even know it, but I had created, well, my brain actually created a whole narrative that. I was actually telling other people um, mm-hmm. about, you know, the the absence of, of a parent. And I'm like, okay, well, this is, you know, that was my truth. I didn't know that yeah. this, it wasn't, I guess for lack of better terms, made up. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. until I got to therapy the first time when I was in my early t- uh, mid twenties, actually. And mm-hmm. um, I started talking about the situation and the therapist, he was like, Demetric, you know that that's abuse, right? That that's neglect. I was like, no, because it was, you know, this happened or I saw this and, you know, this, I experienced this and I, I did see them, you know, and the more and more I thought about it, I was like, wow, Demetric, actually you did it. You didn't yeah. see this person as much as you thought you did, or mm-hmm. this didn't happen the way that you 
thought it did. And then I was like, wow, okay, all these years I've been sharing this narrative that really was a childhood narrative that my brain created and not the reality mm-hmm. of the situation. That, and then yes. I, yeah. Oh, when I say that was um, hit me like a, a semi truck, I was like, oh, no, I think I went home. I cried and I yeah. actually cried. And I was like, oh, I mean, like, you know, those the type of the ugly cry, the nonstop mm-hmm. cry. And I was like, wow, Dimitri, like this is your react. This is actually what really happened. Now, mm-hmm. how do we deal with that? How do you process is- this? It's terrifying, isn't it? It like, is. Mm-hmm. It is like a, a wake up call moment of like, where did this narrative come from? Because at at a certain point, it creates protection and safety and mm-hmm. a warmth to now I have answers or yeah, I can add something to my to I don't know. It just kind of fills in space. Is, is how yes. I want to say it. Yes, and yes. it creates a wholeness and. I think our brain, we run with it because it's like, this is what's kept us safe. I also think that we end up telling people the story of that safety, of that fantastical moment or not reality, because it's protection. If we don't Mm. tell people that we've been taken advantage of in any way, whether that's psychologically, sexually, physically, any way, Mm -hmm. then it doesn't give them the opportunity to take advantage of us. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and we don't have so, to relive the the, the emotional trauma. trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Oh, all right, y'all. So sorry, <laughs> drag this along, but <laughs> yeah, it was uh, like I said, this was this is not the easiest topic to broach, no. but um, this is real and real and raw and uncut, and mm-hmm. you know, stuff happens, you know, and life yeah. happens, and you know, unfortunate things happen, and you know. It's not our fault that they happen and we have to figure out what healing looks like for each one of us because healing exactly. is different for all of us. But I think the the true goal is really self-awareness, like Rade was saying, and then the healing part of it. And, you know, but you have to figure out what the, the healing looks like. And that self-awareness piece is really figuring out, okay, what's the real narrative? Right. But- Take your ass to therapy. <laughs> yes. Please go to therapy. Don't play. Do not Yes. Play. Don't try to do go all the stuff we said. Don't try to do this on your own. And I love, you know, my support network. And, I'm, and a lot mm-hmm. of people have good, strong support networks. And it's okay to share your experience with them. But you need a professional to unpack and process mm-hmm. and resolve and heal those things. Because yeah. there's just only so much our loved ones can, can actually do to help us with our healing. Right. Especially when, you know there is a process that you have to go through when, when unpacking trauma, because you don't want to mm-hmm. re-traumatize yourself. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a huge thing. Okay. 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 Last question before I move on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's your definition of healing? Oh, another tall order from Rade. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's see. What does healing look like for me? Um, healing looks like, Peace, um, okay. Serenity, um, acceptance. It looks like knowing our story, but not being negatively impacted by it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like you know, I, I feel like our life is a, a bookshelf full of books and experiences and chapters and things like that. And you know, I feel like with 
healing is knowing that, okay, I've read that book. I've resolved Mm -hmm. it. It's still on the bookshelf because it's a part of my collection. It's part of my life, but Mm -hmm. it's not something that I am going back to grab and reread and reread and reread. It's something that I know is there. That's a part of my journey, but it doesn't define my journey. Mm -hmm. And lastly, um, being content. And when I say being content, being content with where you are, the work you're doing now, and where you're going. Love love this definition. Yeah. <laughs> wow, How get into you? it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I really think healing is working to understand your experiences while also no longer allowing the emotions that come with them to be as intense as they used to be. Mm-hmm. So understanding that those emotions will exist, right? I think they'll always hold a pocket, like you mentioned, the book on mm-hmm. the shelf. Mm-hmm. And I think the part of healing is recognizing when those when you're triggered by something and you recognize the emotion is linked to a trauma experience and knowing how to healthily cope with it rather than engage in your previous self-destructing behaviors. Mm-hmm. So it's reaching, like you said, that space of acceptance while also being able to dig into your toolbox and say, oh, but don't worry, I got something for that. Yeah. Right. Without yeah. it turning into like Demetrius and I was just talking about that psychological, fantastical thought process mm-hmm. of of uh, kind of consolidating the trauma, so to speak. So yeah. I think healing ultimately is working to get to the point where you have a clear understanding of what your trauma experience looked like and being able to work with it and work through it mm-hmm. by understanding, acknowledgement, healthy coping, peace, mm-hmm. serenity. And so I think your what your definition was to me is like the the physical aspect of what it looks like when healing has happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I felt that right day. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And and it kind of aligns with mine. But I think, you know, almost kind of like you said, like what it looks like on the tail end. And it's almost like you gave the act, the like the gears and the grinding that gets yeah, you the to the process. Yeah. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love mm. that. Love it. <laughs> okay, friend. Um now it's time for our Q&A portion of the podcast, The Therapist Hats Off. Rade, do you have our first question? Yes. Okay. First question is, I have suspicions that my neighbors are neglecting their children. What should I do without exposing myself? Hmm. Ooh. Okay. Um, so first, um, this is going to sound real technical, but I will look at the the abuse laws in your state um, or where you live to determine um, the the route that you should take as far as reporting it. Um, I know in Florida, like we're mandatory reporters, like every, every individual is a, a mandatory report, reporter, regardless of their professional standing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be full on abuse that you've seen, but just the suspicion of it. Um, you're required to to make a report. Um, the reports are anonymous. Um, and, you know, the one thing I will say with that is just know that every report does not result in an open case. 
So right. what that means is, is that you can report and say, hey, I'm seeing X, Y, Z. And then the person at the you know abuse center may ask additional questions and determine that no case is should be open. So mm-hmm. um, kind of like Rade and I were talking about earlier, um, dealing with, you know, domestic violence or sexual abuse that's actively happening with the client. Like you have to kind of deal with that helplessness um, that may result as, you know, if nothing comes about from your report. But um, I definitely don't agree um, with approaching the situation, especially if you don't have a relationship there, um, because that could result in exacerbation of any abuse that could be happening. So for me, um, then of course I'll let Rodney jump in. I think the best thing to do would be, um, to just make a report with your, your local abuse, um, hotline and then allow the professionals to take it from there. But as you've done your neighborly part, um, right. Or that human part of of your your particular role and and trying to help um, anyone who you feel like is being used. Yeah. Um. Honestly, I don't have much to add to that. Like, make a report. Um. And do it as soon as possible. They'll come and they'll do a wellness check. They'll also, you know, do some investigating and determine, like Demetrius said, if that case needs to be open or not. Mm-hmm. One thing I will say is that if you are a therapist listening to this in Florida, making, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, making a call for uh, abuse or neglect, uh, you can't stay anonymous if you're a licensed um, clinician or professional, correct? Correct, correct. You okay. do have to um, give your, uh, your name and your name. all of that information. Yeah, right. but if it's just like- um, A neighbor, you're about. Yes. Right, right. Yes. So, and I'm saying that because just in case we're listening to any, if any of you all are in the process of, you know, becoming a therapist or a licensed professional, any by any means, understand that your reports will not be anonymous. Um, Right. And so that's a a bit of a different story there. And maybe in another uh, episode, we can talk about for like professionals making reports, appropriate ways to do that or ways that you can Mm -hmm. talk to your clients about going about it but i really have nothing to add to that so great yeah but good point i'm glad you actually brought that up because there is like although everyone is mandatory reporters there are you know professionals are not um anonymous so i'm glad right. you did actually bring that up right yeah so okay. so our next question is i am noticing that my coworker is frequently injured and the explanations don't make sense to me how can I approach them and not come off as prying into their personal life? Okay. So ta- if <laughs> I was going to say tall order from the listener. <laughs> I know, right? <sighs> well, there's that. Uh, <laughs> I think if you and your coworker are actually close, um, if you could talk to them privately, that could be helpful. Okay. If you can have a private conversation with them, not at work, if you can. Um, or if it's at work well after hours, <laughs> right. When mm-hmm. you guys could be alone to have a conversation and you could say something to the extent of, you know, I have been noticing these things and I'm concerned. How can mm-hmm. I support you? Okay. Mm-hmm. The idea is not to make any assumptions about what they may be going through. Um, mm-hmm. as one, it may be pretty obvious to you, but two, 
you also have to give them the opportunity to come to you and talk to you when they're ready to discuss it. Um, also, if you are not as close with this person, um, I think that you can also try to have a conversation with them, but I think start off with that. Hey, I know we are not as close, but I've been noticing these things and I don't want to talk to anyone else about it just yet without having a conversation with you. Right. And making mm-hmm. sure you're putting the ball back in their court. When mm-hmm. anyone is dealing with an abusive situation, it is their decision of when they would like to work on things, when they would like to leave, if they would like to mm-hmm. stay, it is their decision. And I think that's a huge piece that a lot of us miss. And immediately mm-hmm. we start to think, well, why won't they just leave? When mm-hmm. truth of the matter is you don't know what they're experiencing at home. And as I've mentioned before, the most unsafe part of leaving I mean, of uh, abusive relationship is leaving. That is actually mm-hmm. when the most deaths most deaths happen in abusive mm-hmm. relationships. Mm-hmm. So, making sure that you handle it very privately is going to be important, um, as well as saying to them, you know, I don't, I really don't want to pry into your, you know, personal life, but also I want you to be safe because mm-hmm. I am concerned about you, and that could even look like. And also, if you don't want to talk to them, this could even look like if you have some pamphlets or anything that you could give them for safety Mm -hmm. to give it to them and leave it at work, probably on their desk or something. And they Mm -hmm. can also put it away at work. We don't want to send them home with anything because you don't know if that abuse is happening at home or elsewhere and that person Mm -hmm. can see it. You want Mm -hmm. to give them the opportunity to do what they will with that pamphlet and let that be that. Come on, therapist. Okay. <laughs> I don't have anything okay. to add to that, Rade. Um, you know, I feel like that's spot on. All of those, those, both of those instances that you gave or those approaches that you gave, I think they're spot on. Um, and I'm so glad that you talked about the acceptance part because just because we see abuse and we know or we feel that we know what's going on, it mm-hmm. means nothing to that person until they accept the fact that they're actually being abused. Mm-hmm. Um and then, like I said before, you know, we always want to be taking care of ourselves as, as much as needed and where necessary. So also in these situations, um, you're also going to have to manage that helplessness because you can't mm-hmm. force anyone into acceptance. You can't force anyone into treatment. You can't force anyone to leave a situation that they may not see as dangerous as as you would. So right. you have to, like, you know, basically, like Rade said in all so many words, you have to meet people where they are. Um, mm-hmm. And you don't want to come in hot. Exactly. You want to gradually land because if you come in too hot, they're going to shut down and they're going to mm-hmm. fall deeper and deeper into the abuse. And they're going to actually, you know, as odd as it may sound, feel like that's the place that they that they need to be that they need to be or that they feel the safest, even though when that's, mm-hmm. that's a whole contradiction, because at the end of the day, they know what to expect when they walk through that door. Like they have exactly. that, that routine down to a T and mm-hmm. anything that tries to, you know, disturb that got to go. Mm-hmm. So that's why you want to gradually land and not come in hot. Like, you know, it's an Indy 500. <laughs> You know what? What I I will say is that I think it is a lot easier to address abuse with clients than it is with like coworkers, friends, family. I think it's a lot easier to address it with clients. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even clients I don't know. 
Yeah. And I feel like, you know, because there's that that framework that we have. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so, I, yeah, I totally agree with you there for sure. Yeah. Because with friends, I feel like I'm not trying to be your therapist, like, you know, kind of thing. And I'm trying to toe a line between knowing what to say and trying not to cross a line of becoming too therapeutic, but still being a friend. Exactly. It's such a weird <laughs> all right it is, it's a weird space no it's a weird space and with family yeah. too it's the same exact thing yeah, but yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> all right y'all so here's our earth lesson we have been here long enough so earth <laughs> lesson for today is abuse is never okay so don't suffer in silence nor alone tell someone you trust to get the support and healing that you need and that you deserve respectfully a melanated therapist if you are someone or someone that you know that is typically being physically or emotionally abused, please contact the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 for help. If you or someone you know is being sexually abused, please contact the National Sexual Hotline at 1-800-656-4673 for help. All right, fam. Remember to follow us on Instagram at respectfullymt and send your questions and topics to respectfullymt at gmail.com. Until next time, fam. Peace. Respectfully. 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 A melanated therapist. therapist.